You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I remember when I was uh, 23 years old, I just finished college at Trevecca Nazarene University, just graduated in the spring. That summer, I went to live with my parents and I worked to try to earn some more money. And then in the middle of August, I loaded everything that I owned in a Ford Fiesta. It tells you how much I owned and I headed for Kansas City to attend seminary. I got there on Wednesday and I had some friends who were there from college. And I remember going to church on Sunday. Kansas City First Church of the Nazarene was the church that I went to that Sunday. And I remember we did worship and a pastor got up to lead in prayer. And when he got up to lead in prayer, here's what he said. What is it that you need God to do in your life today? I remember that question hitting me like a ton of bricks. Um, I needed a job really bad. I got in there on Wednesday and on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I was filling out job applications right and left. I needed a job tomorrow. I needed to go to work tomorrow. I needed a job. I also remember just when I left home and I remember leaving a hospital and crying really hard because I was convinced that that was the last time that I would probably see my grandmother alive. She was dying with cancer and I was feeling a lot of hurt over losing my grandmother. And and I remember being concerned about finances in regard to getting tuition paid for school. I thought I had it worked out, but I was feeling uneasy until I actually got through the process of registration. And I remember feeling really homesick. I I was in our office the other day and I walked into the main office and there were these two young girls there and I introduced myself to them and they said they were students at Southern Nazarene University and I said what year are you and they said we're freshmen and I said okay well how's it going and they said it's going well and I said to them I said are you homesick and they said no not really homesick I said oh I'm glad because when I went away every time I remember feeling pretty homesick And I remember when he asked that question, so what is it that you need God to do for you? I remember just feeling like, oh, there's a lot of things I need God to do for me this morning. And so you've come to church and we've been worshiping together. And now I'm going to stand right in front of you and I'm going to look in the eyes and I'm going to ask you a question. The same question. What is it that you need God to do in your life this morning? What is it that you need God to do in your life today? And so somebody may be dealing with suffering from some kind of physical thing. And Rick, I need God to touch my body physically. Or maybe it's spiritual healing in your life that you need. You may say, I'm way off track. I've got, I've got problems with sin and I need forgiveness in my life this morning. Or maybe it's emotional healing that you need. Or maybe it's healing in relationships. Or maybe your heart has been broken or someone has hurt you. Or maybe you're addicted to something and you don't want to be addicted to this any longer. What is it in your life that you need God to do for you this morning? 
I, I've got a second question, and I think it's a good question. And this question is, do you want to experience God's healing today? Do you want to get well? It's really a question that Jesus asked a man in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. And I think it's a great question for us to ponder. So if you want to grab a Bible and open it to chapter 5, I'll start reading in verse 1. You, you probably remember, but let me remind you that the Gospel of John is written by the Apostle John, or the disciple of Jesus John, or the brother of James John, or the son of Zebedee John. That's who wrote the Gospel. And you say to him, John, you, you wrote things like um, about yourself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he always felt this close affection to Jesus. He always felt this connectedness to Jesus. And he described himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Not being arrogant, I'm just telling you he's nuts about me. That's all I'm saying, okay? That's what it sounds like to me when he says it. And so, John, why did you write... And in chapter 20, verse 30, John says, well, Jesus did many other remarkable signs in the presence of his disciples. But I have recorded these. I wrote these down so that you might believe that he is the Messiah, the son of God. And that by believing that you might have life, I wrote these down so you would believe that Jesus is the son of God and Jesus has the power to heal. And Jesus has the power to do what you need him to do in your life today. I wrote these down so that you would believe in the power of Jesus. And that by believing, you would find this life that I want you to enjoy. And so let me share these words with you, okay? Um, I, I, I guess I need to say to you that um, there's a lot going on in John 5. God is trying to say to the world, this is my son. I authenticate him as the one sent by me, the Messiah. Um, th there's this tension between Jewish religious leaders about breaking the law on the Sabbath. Not only does Jesus heal a man in this passage on the Sabbath, but he tells him to take up his bed and walk. Jeremiah 21 says, or 17 rather, 21 says, you can't carry a load on the Sabbath. And so there's this tension that's happening. There's a lot going on, a whole lot going on. And, and in the midst of all of this that's going on, the kingdom of God is being ushered in. We see a picture, we catch a glimpse of God. And with all that is happening in Jesus' life and ministry, he sees a man who is crippled and he reaches out to that man and he brings healing into his life do you remember peter said just show us what god is like that's all we want jesus have i been with you so long peter and you still don't know what god is like you remember the guy at the pool that was crippled and i healed him that is what god is like peter and and so in all of this that's happening, we catch this glimpse or this very beautiful picture of God bringing healing into somebody's life. So let me go to John chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, here we go. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of those Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool 
They call it a sheep gate because it's the gate where the sheep entered. I know my brilliance just overwhelms you, but that's why they called it that. Which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. That means five porches. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie. What do you mean disabled people, John? Who are you talking about when you say disabled? He says, well, I'm talking about the blind and I'm talking about the lame and I'm talking about the paralyzed. That's who I'm talking about when I say disabled people. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time, isn't it? So when Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Uh, The belief was that if an angel came and stirred the water, the first one in got healed. So everybody tried to be the first one in. And so while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, three imperatives. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I remember when I was a junior high kid, we had company, like overnight company at our house for like a few nights, and they were sleeping in my bed. And so I was sleeping on a quilt in the living room. And I remember on Saturday morning, everybody started getting up and coming into our living room and kitchen area. And I remember my dad says to me, hey, Rick, and I looked up at my dad with one eye half open, and he said, take up your mat and walk. In other words, we're tired of walking around you. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Awesome story, isn't it? Let me me share another story with you. We have a, a program here that meets on Tuesday evenings called Celebrate Recovery. And there's a guy who has been a part of that ministry who tells his story. And here's what he says. I'm a grateful believer in my Lord Jesus Christ and I celebrate working my recovery over sexual addiction. I want others to know the healing that has taken place in my life. From a very young age, I've struggled with pornography. Which eventually led to sex outside of my marriage. My addiction has cost me one marriage and the right to be a full-time dad. For the first 12 years of my second marriage, I struggled with pornography and being unfaithful to my wife. But because of recovery, I've been faithful for the last 13 years. That's great, isn't it? And as sad as that sounds in some ways, my wife and I rejoice in the victory of God's grace in our marriage for over half of our time together. Celebrate Recovery has helped me recognize God's forgiveness and grace in my life. I've learned how to be accountable to godly men. And I've learned to share my struggles with them as well as my victories. But because God is now first in my life, my victories have been many. That's a true celebration of recovery, he says. And so working recovery includes continually working my 12th step, which is service. 
And I do that with God's help by working with other men who have similar issues, by leading a small group, and by being a sponsor or a mentor. Working with others helps me stay accountable in my own recovery. The strength of Celebrate Recovery comes in a Christ-centered program that reflects the privilege and protection of guidelines, which include the anonymity and confidentiality that provides a safe place to work recovery. I'm so thankful, he says, to be a part of this ministry at this church. And so I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to ask you something that's kind of hard to ask. Is anybody else struggling with addiction to pornography? There was a day in our society when it only really affected men. But because we have become so sensory driven, it's not just about men anymore. And so you may say, no, Rick, I don't struggle from pornography, but I struggle from another addiction. Or you may say, it's not an addiction that I'm suffering from, but it's actually a physical problem that I'm suffering from. Some are saying it's relationship struggles that I'm suffering from. Some are saying it's a broken heart. Some people are saying, I've been abused in my past and I suffer from the abuse that I struggled from then. Somebody's saying, I've got real deep spiritual problems, Rick, in my life. I'm suffering from sin and its consequences. I I, I think what I'm trying to just say is that we all walk in this morning in our Sunday best look. And the truth of the matter is that no doubt there are many people in the room who are suffering and who are in deep need of the healing hand of Jesus in their lives. Like never before in your life, you need Jesus to touch you and to bring healing into your situation right now, today. And when I asked the question earlier, what do you need Jesus to do in your life? You had no trouble coming up with an answer. You knew what it was that you needed Jesus to do for you this morning. And the struggle has never been, do we need healing? The question that I want to confront you with this morning is the question that Jesus asked the man. Do you really want to get well? Do you really want to be healed? My wife, Annette, came into my office the other morning and she was crying. And, and I just looked up and said, what? And, and she handed me this. We have this ministry here at our church on Wednesday night and it's called Prayer First. And there's this large number of people who gather in a room and they pray for people. There's a group of men who pray on Wednesday morning right here at this altar on my left side. And they also pray. And so people fill out connect cards and they 
email the church office and they asked for people to pray about certain issues. And so my wife had sent in a prayer request just that our daughter Brittany is getting married this Saturday night in Cincinnati. And, and her life is crazy. It's nuts trying to get ready for the wedding. My life is fine. I'm having no problem at all. But her life is, is nuts. Just all those final preparations. And she just sent in a prayer request saying, would you pray for me as I move toward this wedding? And we don't know who wrote this, but somebody writes her a note and says, precious Lord, as I think, think rather of Annette and her final days of wedding plans. I'm reminded of the time you took care of an important need at a wedding. And then she continues to pray. She's talking about the Cana of Galilee wedding in chapter 2 of the same Gospel, John. You remember a few weeks ago maybe that I talked to you about that particular miracle that Jesus performed? you remember that? Anybody remember anything I've ever said to you in the last year and whatever? Well, I talked to you about this miracle where there was this wedding and they were out of wine and Jesus turns water into wine. And, and it was awesome. And after he does it, John talks about the miracle and he says, this is the first sign that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee to reveal his glory. And then in chapter four of John, there's another miracle where Jesus heals an official son. And then John says, this is the second sign. Do you remember that conversation? And now Jesus heals another man. And this is the third sign. The sign is the Greek word, say, meon, and it refers to this unusual occurrence or this supernatural event. But it always points to something greater. When you see a sign, or it, it's, it's, never, it's never a sign that stands on its own. It's, it's pointing to a place or, a, or an event or, or something that's happening. And, and God is saying, through all of these things that you are seeing... I'm telling you that this is my son and he can bring healing into your life. This is my son. He is the anointed one and he can change a person's heart. This is my son. He was sent by me and he can heal you of what you're suffering from today. What a powerful word. Um, when you get to chapter 5, John says that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And uh, typographically, Jerusalem is elevated. So everybody that goes to Jerusalem goes up to Jerusalem. And he goes for a festival. We don't know which one. He just says he went up for one of the festivals um, the deal was that all Jewish males had to go to Jerusalem, the city that God designated to celebrate the festivals. And so Jesus is in Jerusalem at the festivals and he goes near the east wall where the sheep gate is. The sacrifices that would be brought in to be offered in the temple would come in through that gate. And there near that gate, there was a pool with five porches, colonnades. And so this is where Jesus encounters this man. Um, a few years ago, my wife Annette was in the hospital. And so I got up early that morning to get over to the hospital to, to see Annette. And when I walked in the hospital room, she wasn't in her bed. Um, and so 
I said, Annette, and, and she was actually in the restroom. And so she needed something, and I went in the restroom. Well, while I was in the restroom, this nurse comes into the room. And, and so I came out of the restroom, and there was a lady from our church coming into the room. And so I walked out into the hallway with this lady whose name is Kate that we're very close to who worked with us at the church. And I pulled the door to her, and I said, Annette's in the restroom. The nurse is with her. She'll get her back to her bed, and we'll go in and visit And in just a few minutes, the nurse comes out and said, okay, you guys can go in. She's in bed. And Kate said, I think I'm going to let you go in for a few minutes first. It's really early and make sure she's ready for a visitor. And so I go in, close the door, and the nurse walks back by. And as she's walking by, she says to Kate, hey, you can go in. She's fine. And and Kate said, it's okay. I'm just going to let Pastor Rick be with her for a few minutes. And the nurse stops. And she turns and she says... Do you mean that man is not her husband? Where did she think I crossed the line as a pastor? When I went in the restroom with the lady from my church? And Kate says, oh, no, 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 that's, that's just, he, he is her husband, but he's the pastor I work for. So that's why I called him Pastor Rick. I love that story. Yeah, at our church, we're willing to go the extra mile for you when we... We take pastoral calling to a whole nother level. You know what the name of the hospital was called? I love this. Bethesda. But wait a minute, that was the name of the pool, yes. You probably know this, but many of the first hospitals built in the United States were built by Christians, built by churches. And so years ago when they started building hospitals, churches started building hospitals, they would say, what are we going to name this hospital? And so some churches named their hospitals Christ Hospital. Sometimes they named the hospitals Bethesda. Because in the Bible there was a place where the healing of Jesus took place. And this is a place where we believe the healing of Jesus is going to take place. So we want to call it Bethesda. And so it was at this pool, Bethesda, where Jesus encounters this man. This man who was laying on a mat because he couldn't walk. I wonder how much the mat became his identity. I wonder if people described him as, he's the guy, you know, who lays on the mat by the fifth colonnade, by the fifth porch over there at Bethesda. I wonder if it was always associated with the mat. He's the guy on the mat at the fifth colonnade at Bethesda. I wonder if a cousin ever said of him to another family member, I saw him yesterday morning. He was at the temple laying on his mat begging. I don't know how he got there. Somebody must have carried him. But he was always associated with the mat because he had to lay down on something, so he carried a mat. And and I wonder if I'm looking at somebody this morning who would say, my suffering has become my identity. He's the guy with cancer. She's the girl whose dad is in prison. He's the drug addict. I think what I really wanted to do this morning was stand up here and look at you and say, what is your mat? What 
What is this thing that you've carried around with you for a long time and it has become your identity? Sometimes I hear it in language like this. Pastor Rick, do you know their story? No, I don't, I don't, I don't know their story. Well, let me share their story with you. And what they're saying is, Pastor Rick, do you know what their mat looks like? This is what happened to them. And Jesus asked him the question, do you want to get rid of the mat? Do you want to get well? I think it's a good question. I remember saying to my friend Connor, who was fighting a drug addiction, and had been fighting the drug addiction for a long time, I remember saying to him one day, Connor, you want to kick this thing, right? You want to beat this thing, right? You want to get beyond this, right? I mean, this is what you really want. Isn't this what you want, Connor? And Connor looks at me and he says, some days... And then he said, but some days I want to get high really bad. It sounds sick, doesn't it, Pastor Rick? But I guess that's the addiction inside of me talking. There's something kind of twisted that I haven't quite figured out, but somehow the familiar becomes comfortable, even if the familiar is hell. I know what life is like when I'm sick. I don't know what life is like when I'm well. What does it cost to get well? What would be required of me to get well? There's something comfortable about the familiar. I don't think the guy really answers Jesus. I think he answers him by just making what would sound to us like an excuse. I don't know that it's an excuse. I don't have anybody to help me in the water. If the angel were to come and stir it, nobody would be here to help me get in. I think what the guy is really saying is, I don't see this happening in my life. I don't see how it could happen. I've been sick a long time. I've been struggling a long time. I've been suffering from this addiction for a long time. I've had this problem in my life for a long time. My heart has been broken and hurting, excuse me, for a long time. I don't see it happening to me. I think he was just saying, Jesus, I don't know how this could happen. And I think I'm looking at people saying, Rick, I, I want to get well. I really do. I want my life to change, but I don't, I don't know how that could ever happen for me. Let me, let me show you a, a story of a girl named Angie who is very much a part of, of our community of faith. She's very much a part of this church. Would you just take a moment to hear her story? This is a person who says, I don't know how this could happen in my life. So watch and listen with me, will you? Hi, my name is Angie, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery from meth and alcoholism. My life is like drastically different than what it used to be. I mean, there used to be just like men in and out of my house. That was a big part of my addiction. 
and you know I didn't care I didn't care what people thought and I thought that most people in this world were getting high and you know that that's just that was just life and so now to be living this life it's just it's amazing I mean it's so good to have real friends and have a place to come and just feel safe and have God to talk to and um, our life is just different. I'm raising my kids in a Christian home and it's really, it's really great. Uh, the resources were there, like the counseling and stuff that they put me in. They put me in counseling for stuff in my past that I hadn't dealt with. I was new in the church and I knew they had a recovery program and um, I was just getting my kids back from DHS and uh, my case was closing and I knew that I needed to stay in a good program. My relationship with God has grown so much since I started Celebrate Recovery. It's just, in this church, it's just amazing. I have changed my friends, I've changed my clothes, my the way I talk, and um, just everything. I had to change everything to get to where I'm at now. The friendships that I've formed and the, the women in Celebrate Recovery, there's some really strong women, and um, just, I've... I've gotten a relationship with Jesus Christ that is just incredible and just the, um, the fellowship and just having a place to come and be a part of. I'm Angie and I'm celebrating recovery. Is that awesome or what? Awesome. I bet Angie's in the room, or maybe she's in first, was in first service. I don't. There, Angie, stand up right there, would you, real quick, and let us say hey to you this morning. <laughs> I kind of wonder if some of you can identify with Angie's story to some degree, and I also wonder if some of you would say, "I, I can't really identify. I've never been where Angie had been." And so that's kind of hard for me. I mean, I'm excited for her, but it doesn't relate to where I'm at. Well, then let me ask you to watch one other brief video and see if maybe you relate to Doretta's story. Would you do that? Hi, my name is Doretta. I am a gratefully redeemed believer in my Lord Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery from a hard heart. A little more than two years ago, I came to CR because my daughter was addicted to prescription drugs, had gone into rehab, had lost her children, lost her marriage, and I came to counsel with one of the pastors at church, and he recommended CR. So I went to learn how to take care of her, how to deal with her problems. I didn't have a problem. I wasn't one of those people, but I wanted to know how to relate to people with addictions. And within just a couple of weeks, I discovered I couldn't fix her. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't even help her until I let go of the wall that I had built in my heart to protect myself and got real and got honest with God. And it took me months to come to the point where I realized it was trust and control that I did not trust God enough to let Him have total control of my life. Through large group and through small group and then through a 12-step, 
God just worked in my life. I had to admit that I wasn't God, that my life was unmanageable in terms of being able to control what happened in my life myself. Boy, how freeing to go, my life is unmanageable. I am not God. I can't control this. Even Paul said that, but it never sunk in with me. I had held back so hard from God for so long to get right before I let him have my whole heart. I wanted to be good enough or right enough or let me clean up this area, God, and then I'll uh, trust you completely. And I had it all backwards. I had it all backwards. So through 12-step and an inventory, uh, my, life is, my life has totally changed in two years in terms of trusting God and letting go and learning that just because human beings had failed me and that was the start of some of my trust issues, that it didn't mean God was going to fail me and that He is trustworthy every day. My name is Doretta and I'm celebrating recovery. I should have asked, but is Doretta here this morning? She may have been in the other, we don't see her. What a neat, what a neat story of God's grace. You know what I think Celebrate Recovery is becoming for people? I think it's becoming Bethesda. It's becoming a place where the healing power of Jesus takes place in people's lives. And so I wanted just to give a quick plug for Celebrate Recovery. It happens Tuesday nights here. And there will be people in the foyer this morning as you go out who are standing by a table that says Celebrate Recovery. And they'll be giving away tickets to a movie that will be shown here a week from tonight. And the movie is about the story of a person who's celebrating recovery in his life, who went through a process of finding God's healing grace in his life. And so who would come to that movie? I would say everybody come and see what the ministry of this church is all about. But especially if you have a friend who really needs to experience healing in their lives. Stop by and get a couple free tickets and give them to a friend and say, you've got to come to this movie with me a week from Sunday night. And I want you to experience what, what God is doing in people's lives. In Celebrate Recovery, there's a conversation about finding help from the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups in life. And so when we talk about hurt, we talk about what people have done to cause pain in your life, whether it's abandonment or neglect or divorce or whatever that you're struggling with. When we talk about ha habits, we're talking about addiction to anything from, you know, alcohol to drugs to shopping to, you name it, eating, whatever that addiction may be for you. And when we talk about hang-ups, we're talking about those negative mental attitudes like anger or fear or resentment or unforgiveness or depression. Let, let, let me say this, and, and then I'll just kind of wrap up, and we have a great song for you. When this guy and Angie and Doretta came to the understanding that I am powerless to heal myself, 
That was a crucial moment in their lives for healing. I, I don't know how I can get well because I, I don't have anybody to help me into the water, he says. That was important. I cannot heal myself. I am powerless over my own struggles. I need a help that is greater than I am. And then he experiences the healing power of Jesus. But it's when he takes a step that he begins to experience the reality of his healing. And I think what I have to ask you before I finish this morning is what step do you need to take? You know, with Celebrate Recovery, you can show up on Tuesday nights or you can go to a 12-step study and you can do all of that anonymously. Initially, you can find a number in your bulletin that you can call and ask more about 12-step. You can talk to the people in the lobby today or you can go and register online for a 12-step study. And so for some, you may be saying, that's the step I should take. For others, you, should, you may be saying, Rick, the only thing I can do to bring about my own healing is really to pray and just ask Jesus for healing. In your life, what is that, what is that first step? To, to be made aware that the healing power of Jesus is available to you as well. Kyle, you guys come up, but I want you just to give your attention and your heart and your mind to what you're going to hear and see in these next few moments. Because as powerful as the Word of God is, I think sometimes God speaks through music to communicate and relay the message of His Word. And I pray that that is what he does in these next moments that we have here together. So God, in these next moments, speak to us through what we hear and through what we see. And I pray this in Jesus' name.
okay to stand with me for a minute? Um, I want us to to take some time to pray before we go today. And I think that there's probably some of you who are going to come to an altar to pray for your own healing this morning. And we're going to have pastors here that will anoint you and pray with you. And if you want a pastor to pray with you, just motion to them when you come down, get their attention. But I think we're also going to have a lot of people come praying for brothers and sisters and family members and sons and daughters and grandkids and people in your life that you want to see them healed. You want to see healing comes into their, come into their lives. And so we're going to sing together. And as we sing, if you want to come this morning and pray for your own healing or for the healing of somebody you love, uh, feel free to come this morning. And let's end our time together asking Jesus for healing, okay?
So, Father, we thank you this morning for being with us, and we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. Let this be Bethesda. Let this be a place this morning where the healing hand of Jesus touches people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Feel free to go as you need to go. If you want to come and pray or come and pray with others, you're welcome to do that. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.